Welcome to the mini-episode. If you're listening, it's because you're curious as to how you might manage a hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine overdose. Given the attention that these drugs have garnered as a potential therapeutic for coronavirus, they've certainly found their way into the limelight. And unfortunately, misinformed people fueled by the thought that hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine might cure or prevent coronavirus disease have begun ingesting these substances in unregulated quantities, which we'll find out rapidly leads to severe toxicity. The first case happened in March, when a husband and wife in Arizona took a spoonful of chloroquine sulfate fish tank cleaner and the husband rapidly passed away. And there's been other cases of this since then. So what do we do when somebody presents after taking a spoonful of fish tank cleaner or a handful of their wife's rheumatoid arthritis medication in an attempt to cure coronavirus? Are they going to have seizures and arrhythmias and hypotension? What what is a toxic dose? This is a little bit difficult to define. For chloroquine, severe toxicity can be expected for an ingestion of greater than 5 grams. Some have said 30 to 50 mg per kilo is a good predictor as well. We don't have as great of data with hydroxychloroquine, but it's likely that if you're up at those doses, you're going to be seeing some problems. Now, when hydroxychloroquine was being used for coronavirus, the total treatment course was about 2.4 grams. Now, let's say their primary firmly believes in the limited data that supported its use and decides to prescribe them a course. Well, if they took it all at once, whether that would push them into the toxic range, it's hard to say but they would at minimum warrant observation and evaluation for potential toxicities like electrolyte abnormalities and EKG changes. But let's say their provider doesn't prescribe them any hydroxychloroquine, so they decide to take a handful of their mom's rheumatoid arthritis medication instead, being hydroxychloroquine, and they get enough to cause toxicity. What exactly are the toxicities? Well, we covered many of these when talking about quinidine and quinine in episode 6. We'll rehash a few here. Hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine can present with arrhythmias, seizures, hypotension from vasodilation, as well as shock from negative inotropy. Additionally, we tend to see severe hypokalemia from prevention of potassium leaving the cells. What do we do when they present with seizures or arrhythmias or hypotension? Besides the normal reversal of toxicity, using hypertonic sodium for wide QRS, optimizing electrolytes for repolarization abnormalities, airway breathing circulation, charcoal, all that good stuff, in patients who are at risk of severe toxicity, we'd probably follow the protocol that was shown in the case control series published in the New England Journal of Medicine. This was a retrospective case control series, where the first set of people who came in with chloroquine overdoses just got standard supportive cares, and then they chose 10 patients prospectively and treated them with high-dose diazepam, 1 to 2 mg per kilo over 30 minutes, coupled with 1 to 2 mg per kilo per day epinephrine at 0.25 mics per kilo per minute starting out, titrated to a systolic blood pressure of 100, and early invasive mechanical ventilation. They saw much better survival with the patients who got this protocolized care. Whether that was from these specific interventions or from intentional protocolization of care, I really don't know. Regarding the specific drug cocktails they recommend, epinephrine is chosen to increase inotropy due to the negative inotropic effects of some of these compounds. But like we mentioned before, this is retrospective case control data, not comparative clinical evidence. There's no real data to show that epinephrine is better than any other vasopressor combinations, but we do have a good history of its use. And if you're suspecting a cardiogenic shock and you happen to know the patient took hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, I guess it's a good place to start. 
But if you had some other cocktail that was working like norepi and dobutamine and their blood pressure was being maintained, I'm not sure you'd hear an argument from me. Now, we are trying to support their blood pressure, but we're also trying to prevent arrhythmia. And don't forget, when you place somebody on one of these catecholamine infusions, you are going to drive potassium intracellular, causing more hypokalemia, on top of the hypokalemia created from the overdose, increasing their risk of arrhythmogenicity. And this could be even further compounded by other therapies you might be using to treat the overdose, such as sodium bicarbonate for a wide QRS, which is why if you have a hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine overdose with a wide QRS, you might consider using hypertonic sodium chloride instead of sodium bicarbonate. And all of this just highlights one of the key clinical components of managing these patients, addressing low potassium. Many case reports demonstrate giving very large doses of potassium, 200 milliequivalents in a day. And while this might only represent a potassium shift as opposed to true hypokalemia, given their predisposition to arrhythmia and the fatal consequences of such occurring, it's reasonable to try to maintain a normal serum potassium. Okay, one more thing to touch on, diazepam. Hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine are very likely to cause seizure in overdose. So diazepam is actually given as a seizure prophylactic. It's given as a dose of 1 to 2 mg per kilo as a bolus, and then followed by an infusion of 1 to 2 mg per kilo over 24 hours. This dose terrifies me. Like, honestly. And it's not just me. I did a little Twitter poll on this, and out of about 50 people, 75% said that this dose made them uncomfortable. Although, most said they would give this dose anyway, since it's the evidence-based dose. For me, that dose would be like 90 to 180 milligrams of diazepam over 30 minutes. I think, in somebody who's hemodynamically unstable, I'd definitely be moving towards the lower end of that dosing spectrum. Now, what's fascinating is that animal studies actually show high-dose diazepam improves hemodynamics in chloroquine overdose. There's a ton of different mechanisms proposed. It might antagonize chloroquine's effects on the cardiac membrane or prevent chloroquine-induced vasodilation, or there's some kind of a pharmacokinetic interaction. But we do have some experimental data that shows you're actually probably better off with diazepam. So I guess that makes me feel slightly more comfortable with this dosing regimen. Fortunately, you only have to continue the diazepam for about 24 hours. That's the length of time that the patient is believed to be at risk for seizures. And while it certainly makes myself and others quite nervous to give such a high dose, it does appear to be safe in the cases that it's been reported in. I guess you can always up your vasopressors if needed to support them through and hopefully prevent a seizure with this therapy. One thing to keep in mind if you have somebody on one of these large doses of diazepam followed by infusion is the potential for propylene glycol accumulation. It's an excipient used to solubilize these lipophilic drugs. You find it in other things like lorazepam or phenytoin. But when you get a large amount of it, it gets metabolized into the body to lactic acid and you develop a lactic acidosis. So if you have someone on one of these high-dose infusions, you have a few options to monitor. You could trend lactates in order to evaluate if the patient is developing lactic acidosis. However, this catches the problem when it's occurring. Another option is to trend osmolar gaps, which will be elevated when a patient has excessive propylene glycol, increasing the osmolarity of their blood, but not their calculated osmolarity. Some guidelines use an osmolar gap of greater than 12 as an indicator that you should switch to an alternative agent or, at minimum, reduce your dose. So, quick review for hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine overdose. 
Toxicity is high risk for seizures, arrhythmia, cardiogenic shock, and electrolyte abnormalities like hypokalemia. We need to consider early prophylaxis with diazepam to prevent seizures. Relatively high doses, so considering an early airway is not a bad idea, since diazepam might reduce their consciousness anyways. Alongside this, we need to maintain hemodynamics. Epinephrine is recommended due to its use in a historical case series. Finally, treatment of sodium and potassium channel blockade, as well as preventing arrhythmia, is key. We need to optimize their electrolyte replenishment of potassium to avoid hypokalemia. Considering using magnesium and optimizing electrolytes for prolonged QT intervals and using hypertonic sodium therapies if there's a wide QRS. In this scenario, possibly hypertonic saline because sodium bicarbonate might actually worsen hypokalemia from alkalinization. Finally, there are a few other considerations out there like the possible use of lipid due to its fat solubility or enhancing elimination. But honestly, the data is always sketchy with some of these therapies. You should reach out to your poison center at 1-800-222-1222 or your medical toxicology service if you have anyone who you suspect of one of these overdoses. Hope you feel more comfortable with managing one of these potentially critically ill patients. Thanks for listening. Hey, Toxo, can you play us out? The information on this show is for educational purposes only and should not be interpreted as medical advice or treatment recommendations. Please contact your doctor for any health questions or call your local poison center at 1-800-222-1222 for poison-related questions. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent those of our employers. This show is poorly written and shoddily produced by Ryan Feldman. Subscribe for future episodes and don't forget to share with your nerdy friends. See you next time. Goodbye.